This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. It's time for Speak Legal, conversations with Community Law Otago, made with the support of Law Faculty, University of Otago. This time every week we take the opportunity to talk with Community Law Otago about matters legal and things that affect our daily lives and how New Zealand law is constructed and applied. And Annabelle Alou joins us uh, today to talk about, well, uh, potentially quite a huge topic, and we'll only be able to scrape the surface of this one, um, the implications of the Treaty of Waitangi on New Zealand law. Morena, Annabelle, great to have you with us. Hi, nice to be here. Annabelle, <coughs> you've certainly uh, chosen a, a big topic to talk about today. Why is this one important? Yeah. Why is this one important for us, Annabelle? Uh so the Treaty of Waitangi was signed on the 6th of February and it provided ultimate protection of Māori rights and property, preservation of peace and order and ultimately strive to protect Māori culture and enable them to live in New Zealand as Māori. And it essentially came about as more immigrants settled permanently in New Zealand. And at this time, the trade dealings were not always fair surrounding the ownership of their lands. And as the British settlement in New Zealand increased, um, they decided to negotiate a formal agreement with the Māori chiefs to become a British colony. And obviously this is now known as the Treaty of Waitangi. Um, it's essentially a broad statement on the principles on which British and Māori made a political, political compact to build a government in New Zealand. And it's comprised of three separate articles. Um, the person in charge of drafting the Treaty of Waitangi was Hobson. However, as most people know, it's more than obvious, there are clear discrepancies surrounding what exactly the principles are in the Treaty of Waitangi. So in general, what does the treaty set out? Uh, so the treaty is made of three separate articles. The English version, the Māori cede sovereignty to New Zealand, of New Zealand to Britain. Um, they also give the Crown an exclusive right to buy the lands they wish to sell and in return was meant to be guaranteed full ownership of their lands, forests, fisheries as they wish as well as equal rights and privileges of the British subjects, whereas the Māori version states the word, <clears throat> most significantly, significantly the word sovereignty was translated to mean governance. Therefore, the Māori believes they are giving up the government of their lands but retaining the right to manage their own affairs. And the English version guaranteed undisturbed possession of all their properties, but the Māori version guaranteed full authority over their treasures, which may be intangible. And at the same time, the treaty gave the Crown the right to govern New Zealand and represent the interests of all New Zealanders. And of course, we all know over the years, many discussions about the interpretation, and they are ongoing naturally. How has the treaty progressed over time? Um, <clears throat> so there, over time, there has been various methods of acknowledgement of the Treaty of Waitangi. Uh, for example, Sir James Prendergast's statements in the famous case of Weeparata versus the Bishop of Wellington, involving a black block of land, um, the court, Prendergast essentially ruled the court's lacked ability to consider claims based on the Aboriginal native title. Therefore, the treaty had declared the treaty worthless because it had been signed between a, between a civilised nation and group of savages who were not capable of signing a treaty. Uh, the treaty, since then, the treaty has not been incorporated into domestic law and it was a simple normality. Um, even though recognition of the treaty had been minimal before this ruling, this had his decision to declare the treaty a simple normality 
had catastrophic implications of alienation of Māori lands and furthermore has had a significant influence until it was directly challenged in the mid-1980s. Yeah, certainly a kind of a, a shocking interpretation of it. How is the treaty recognised today, Annabelle? Uh, so it wasn't until the Māori Council, New Zealand Māori Council versus Attorney General, that the validity of the Treaty of Waitangi was addressed. Uh, this case essentially concerns the effects of Section 9 of the State-Owned Enterprises Act 1986, declaring that government's actions must be um, decided in according with the principles of the treaty. Uh, furthermore, the they have called for the terms of the treaty to be honoured with increasing number of processes and studies. And this has helped, obviously, improve society's awareness of the treaty and the implications in New Zealand. Um, and although we have continued to see improvements in the way the treaty has been recognised and evolved over time, unlike because we don't have a written constitution in the form of a single document, um, the status in New Zealand is, continues to be um, less than settled. And therefore, the treaty rights can only be enforced in a court of law when the statute or act explicitly refers to the treaty. Uh, if there is no explicit reference to the treaty, it is at the court's discretion in deciding the weight that should be given. Furthermore, it is important to note rights set up in other legislation which is enforceable in our courts. For example, the third article of the Treaty of Waitangi sets out the rights to, to equality before the law which is also protected under the New Zealand Bill of Rights Act and Human Rights Act. However, once again, because our, these are not written documents in our constitution, it does not necessarily mean these principles are applied by the courts we're making their decisions. So what can be done if there's a breach of the principles enforced under the Treaty of Waitangi? So <clears throat> since 1840, the government has continued to take action resulting in the alienation of Māori lands, waters and other resources from their owners uh, without proper consent or compensation. In 1975, the Waitangi Tribunal was established to consider claims by Māori against the Crown regarding breaches and to make recommendations of the government to remove, help remove the prejudice and provide um, compensation for the previous wrongdoing. And since 1985, the tribunal, tribunal has been able to consider Crown acts and omissions dating back to 1840, which has been particularly significant in illustrating remorse to the Māori and previous wrongdoings by the Crown. Yes, and of course, um, over the last decades, we've seen many, many important negotiations and decisions uh, by the tribu tribunal, and that's all ongoing. Well, we've literally just scratched the surface on this one, Annabelle, but it just gives us some historical perspective on the treaty and how it relates to New Zealand law. Thanks so much for taking some time to join us again, Annabelle. We look forward to catching up with you and the team from Community <laughs> Law Otago next week. Thank you. See ya. Community Law Otago. Free legal advice and support for the people of Otago. Visit our weekday advice clinics at 169 Princess Street, Dunedin. Clinic session times are available from the website communitylawotago.com. Ring 474-1922 or 0800-169-333 if calling from outside Dunedin. Speak Legal is made with support from the Law Faculty, University of Otago, Training for Life. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.